Hello, my name is Declan Deneen. Welcome to Checkpoints. This is a show about video games, the people who play them and the people who make them. Each episode, a guest on the show talks about the games that have shaped their life in one way or another. Games that have inspired them, games that have forged connections, and games that have soothed wounds. My guest on today's episode is Omar Cornu. Uh, Omar is the the founder, the creator of Lizard Cube Games, who recently released uh, the incredible remake of Wonder Boy 3, The Dragon's Trap. Uh, for me personally, it's one of my, one of the iconic games of my childhood, and uh, it's a delight to see it kind of updated. The music, the the graphics, it's it's an amazing update. And and Omar is someone I actually, I, I, I reached out to come on the show like a way, way long time ago, before this game was even uh, announced, because we have this kind of odd shared history um I, I bring this up with omar at the start of the show um and it turns out i've, I've since checked after recording this episode and, and i was completely wrong i completely misremembered uh i mythologized my own past but basically when i was a teenager me and my friend ben um really really got into emulation uh, as did you know a lot of people it's an amazing thing and Omar, actually, Omar is uh, a creator of an emulator. He he created the Mecha Master System emulator way, way back in the kind of late 90s. Uh, and in my, in my memories, uh, my friend Ben had designed a logo for, for this emulator. Uh, and this is what I tell Omar in the show. Uh, it turns out that is completely wrong. Um, I don't know. I don't know where that came from. But, but Ben, we were in touch with Omar, but Ben just... Uh, he sent him Game Gear cartridges so that Omar could uh, dump the ROMs. Um, so yeah, completely misremembered. But Omar was far too polite to <laughs> to point out my uh, inaccurate memories. Uh, so we just let that fly. But I'm correcting it here. I'm preempting uh, the corrections, which would only come from one person who already knows that I've got it wrong. But I, I like to be thorough. As always, if you'd like to get in touch with the show, you can email. It's checkpointspodcast at gmail.com or it's at a Checkpoint Show on Twitter, or it's Checkpoints Podcast on Facebook. It's very important to have consistent branding. Please do subscribe, rate and review the show on iTunes or whatever app that you use. Um, any way to kind of encourage more people to listen to the show is, is massively uh, appreciated. If you really like the show, there's a Patreon, which is patreon.com forward slash checkpoints. Uh, if you have the money and the inclination, all donations very gratefully received and go back into making the show as good as it possibly can be. Okay, I will be back next week with uh, with a new episode and a new guest. But until then, let's get on with the show. Yeah, well, you sang, you sang perfectly fine, so hopefully it'll just be okay. So I'll do the introduction again. So... Omar, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for coming on. Um, if you don't mind, would you introduce yourself? Uh, hi, hi. So for, thanks for having me. Uh, so my name is uh, Omar Kornu. Um, I, I was raised in France and I'm a game programmer mostly. Uh, and most recently I've worked on uh, a game called Wonderboy, The Dragon's Trap, which is a remake of an old Sega classic. And previously, I uh, worked in England for a while at a company called Media Molecule, and then um, all those places before. 
Yeah. I actually had Siobhan from uh, Media Molecules on the show just a few weeks ago. Oh, yeah, cool. Was, yeah, I saw her on the list. Yeah, she's she lovely. She's delightful. Um, yeah. And I'm very excited to talk to you. I don't know if you remember this, um, but your our mutual friend, Rodri, um, yes. from Daco Daco Games, uh, we also have a mutual friend, uh, Ben. And Ben is one of my best friends growing up. And when I was about... Yeah. 17 or 18 i guess uh we both discovered yeah. uh emulation and we were just like oh my god this is unbelievable it was just this bold new frontier and we discovered your emulator for the master system and my friend yeah. ben uh got in touch with you because he had designed you a logo i was so thrilled by this it was like we were part yeah, of yeah. i mean we i did absolutely nothing yeah but just through association I think it was maybe with a theme yeah because the emulator was called mecha but but mecha, it was one was of the it. Yeah, it was one of the earliest simulators which had a kind of a nice user interface. Uh, it was it was still dust days, and uh, he had a, a theming system so people could just change the color and had background pictures and stuff like that. So maybe it was that that Ben made. I, I sort of forgot what he made, but there was something about that. Oh, it was thrilling. It was like real, like yeah. speaking to real life hackers, even though it wasn't real, really hackers or anything. But it was just it was so nice, like that, especially for me because the mass system was my my very first console so it's a very special place yeah. in my heart so kind of rediscovering all those games yeah. was uh, was a real treat and i'm sure for you too since you've you've done uh, the wonder boy remake which is very exciting yeah i mean i mean since this day since um, you know 97 98 i've been brought back to the master system which was my first console but i've been brought back to it through life emulation and i sort of like you know spend the next 15 20 years sort of uh, half obsessed and fascinated by the the, the you know the console and its game and uh, Wonder Boy Dragon Sharp is sort of a continuity of that kind of merging my game programming skills with my Sega obsession skills. <laughs> it's hard work being a, a Sega fan recently. Yeah. Although the, the, the Dragon Trap is probably one of the the exceptions. Although that's not like is that a Sega game? I don't I don't know how the how all the licensing of that worked out. It was it was made by a company called Westone. Um, which actually owned most of the IP, and and Sega published it on the Sega console, and Sega owned the right to the trademark. So Wonder Boy, the name. Okay. Uh, so it's mostly associated to to Sega here, but actually at the time they also Weston also licensed it to Hudson Soft, um, uh, and it was released uh, using different like the series fork. There was a the Adventure Island series with a kind of a fork of the first Wonder Boy. Yeah. And then other games such as Dragon Strap were actually released on the PC engine by Yurton Soft. So the company who made it actually licensed the game twice under different names. And here in the West, we know, you know, the, the Wonder Boy series was the, 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 the most common associated brand to the game, to those games. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but it exists as different names. Yeah. So it isn't strictly a Sega game, but it was a very popular game in the, the you know in the eight bits, and um, so I get at the time it was uh, just like the Sega, the Zelda of Sega players, um, sort of. Yeah, no, it's a shame. And were they all like because I remember all the different Wonder Boy games? Certainly, the ones that I played were all they were quite vastly different. Like the original Wonder Boy was a really super basic just like scrolling platformer and then suddenly it became about buying items and stuff in like monster land and then dragon's trap was like the ultimate version of it basically but was it all the same company was it just like a progression it was the same company yeah 
there's sort of like there was yeah there was two genres of game there was a there's actually another game called Wonder Boy 3 the Monster Lair which is based on the gameplay of the first Wonder Boy so it's more of like a runner shooter uh, shooter okay and there's Wonder Boy 3 the Dragon Strap so the series is always very confusing there's two games called Wonder Boy 3 and they have nothing to do with each other <laughs> uh, but they were made by the same guys the, the 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 naming mess is due to the localization things because the names made more sense in Japan. They sort of like forked the series more clearly between the like the Wonder Boy series and the Monster World subseries. Okay. But in the West they tried to make up number for them and then it became a mess. So the Dragon Strap uh, which is called Wonder Boy 3 the Dragon Strap uh, in the West is actually the fourth game in the series. It's like all uh, the the Final Fantasy mess basically with the numbering and stuff. Yeah, it's similar. I, I reckon Wonder Boy is more confusing, uh, but it's it's this idea. Yeah. Well, we're, I'm sure we're going to come back to that. But for now, let's uh, let's meander back, Omar. And uh, if you can remember, what was your very first experience of a video game? I, I in back in '87, my dad uh, made us move to Egypt because he had a job there. And all the kids at school were playing the Atari 2600 at the time, mm-hmm. 2600. So it was very popular. It was 87, so I guess it was it was quite late for the for that console, but everybody had that. And uh, and you know every time I would visit my friend, I would see this game on TV, and I, I guess I was instantly fascinated by those video games. And was this uh, like in in Egypt now that you went? And that was in Egypt. That was, that was that was in Cairo. Yes. The, the funny thing is that one of my close friends back then actually had a Sega Computer 3000, which is an early Sega 8-bit machine that um, wasn't released in most of Europe, was only released in Japan and in Australia and New Zealand, and is um, quite unknown. I've um, never heard of it. The Sega Computer 3000? Yes. The Sounds a, like a, a joke. SC3000. Uh, so basically, the release, the release, the first console release was called HD One Thousand, and then the supporting computer, which was the same as the console with the keyboard and a bit more RAM, was the SC Three Thousand. And it was an uh, actual like computer, like that you could type and program and do all sorts. Yeah, of uh, it, it was very simple. The the he had he had a magic cartridge. Um, it was very kind of like uh, similar to you know um, you know MSX One era of hardware. Okay. Uh, slash, slash software. So Sega made that before the Master System, and very coincidentally, my friend had that. I don't know how he had that, but I think because his mother used to live in Australia, and she brought it from Australia, and it okay, was big okay. there. Um, but the point is that I ended up playing those games when I was seven or eight, the Sega games, uh, which I only uncurtained back, uh, like, so again, you know, 10 years later, uh, when we sort of discovered them on the internet again, and nobody knew this console where I actually played this game back in the days. So yeah, <laughs> and was like That's, moving to Egypt though. Like I'm, I'm assuming, like how old are you when you you did that move? I was seven. We just stayed it for a year. I think. Oh, okay, so yeah, just for a year. year and a half. Yeah, yeah. But I'm just, I'm just yeah. thinking in terms of like you know that's like a it's quite a big move. You know, was did games kind of help with you know making friends and stuff? Because you know I'm into games. You're into games. That's that seems like an easy icebreaker for a seven year old. Yeah, I was. Uh, we were. I was in French school actually. So actually, there was a quite of a big French expat community there. So 
I suppose uh, lots of my friends were French. Um, I assume they were also probably rich by the standards of the area, uh, which meant maybe they had video games. Yeah. I don't know if everybody had video games then. I, I can't. I don't know that. Uh, but I guess this this helped. But yeah, we were already you know. Uh, but you were you were hooked though. Yeah, I was I was I, I was fascinated by the the game on the screen. I think the first. I'm not sure, but I have this memory of seeing a, a horse racing game under 2600. Uh, I remember playing uh, Hero. I remember playing uh, what's this game? River Raid. Oh yeah, of course. Yeah, but most people also had this uh, pirated cartridge. You know, it's kind of like ten in one, twenty in one thing. Yeah. So we would play a lot of the games through them. <laughs> like just weird knockoffs of various or, or clones of other games yeah. and stuff. Oh, like there would there would be there would be the normal game, but they would be packed in the same cartridge. Okay, I, I, you don't hear about that as much because yeah. that I think that takes like an extra level of skill rather than because in Britain, especially like with all the tape trading, they were easy yeah. to copy, so that was yeah. everyone. But cartridges that that seems like a whole other level of uh, of skill. I'm sure oh, yeah. it wasn't as complicated yeah, I, as I think, but. Yeah, I, I think it was complicated, but I think it was a market. I think there was probably a market for it. Uh, people were making them in some country. Maybe it was Egypt, maybe somewhere else. I have no idea. Uh, and selling them. I, I remember, actually, when I was in in, in primary school, um, it was when I got my master's team and my friend had all at NES. I remember, like, there was a group of people waiting for us at the exit of the school trying to sell us those... 101 cartridge for the NES. So there was a market of, I don't know, this cartridge came from Taiwan or, or I, don't, I don't know where they came from, but there were people sell, selling them in the street in front of the schools. <laughs> I mean, that's and, that's probably the the least harmful thing that people could be selling outside of a school yeah, as you're leaving. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it was odd. And my, one of my friends bought them, I remember, they were very expensive for like because they, they, they cost the price of, I don't know, maybe one or two, normal game but they actually had all this game inside and it was very cool oh you must have been gutted that you could only get it yeah. for the the NES and not the yeah. the master system yeah there wasn't uh the master system wasn't as popular so it didn't have uh, as much piracy as the <laughs> NES had so so why why did you get the master system was that a conscious choice or was it just the one that you ended up with i i don't remember i i remember going to the to the shop for christmas and we bought its console and i think there was the NES and the sega and I heard the, the the brand Sega from from you know my friend who had one in the in Egypt, so I just bought this one. And um, did you like? Were you quite tribal about that? You know, there was the classic Sega Nintendo rivalry in school. Oh, oh yeah, totally, totally. We were running this. I was actually running at the time. I was running a a fanzine, a Sega like fanzine at school. Uh, you were running. Uh, it. How old were you when you were doing that? Uh, must have been nine. That's I think. quite impressive. But it was it was lots of bullshit. I was kind of posting reviews of game I haven't played just by grabbing screenshots from the other magazine and kind of making them <laughs> my own words and say, "Oh, this looks good. Let's give it a B or something." Uh, but you know, I was pretty. Uh, That's propaganda uh, right there. F- fascinated by that. I actually remember sort of designing game ideas with my 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 friend in the courtyard when we were eight or nine. So. Maybe there's something in us that wanted to be game. What was the what was the name of the fanzine first off? It was called Sega Soir, which would be like Sega Evening. That's that's the, I mean, the, in French it sounds really cool. 
<laughs> Sega evening less so, but still. Uh, I, I managed to convince a, a, a friend of my dad to subscribe to it, so <laughs> I... I technically, technically made money from it. That's amazing. <laughs> have you still got like, copies of them somewhere? First, I still have them, actually. That's amazing. They're, pro- they're probably very embarrassing, but uh, I have them <laughs> somewhere. Well, you can see the, tra- the trace of Kellen pasting bits of other magazine screenshots. Uh, <laughs> Even still, for a nine-year-old, that's, that's still yeah. quite clever. Yeah. <laughs> um, so you mentioned like making up game ideas with your friend. Like, how where did that come from you know because one of the reasons that i like doing the show and is kind of demystifying some of the aspects of of game design and how people make games because for a lot of people you don't you don't really assume that games are made even at that sort of age like unless you've got some sort of home computer that people tend to kind of dig into how the games work on console that's really hard so where where did that come from do you think i mean at least uh, one of my friends had a computer. I think it was a CPC or something. I don't know, but uh, I think th- this concept were vaguely understood by us. Um, but then, us designing game, I have a very vague memory. I just remember that I had this game called Aztec Adventure in the Master System, oh, which I really loved. Game. It, was, it was my first cartridge, and it had this really old control scheme where you would press a button to change the current item, yeah, and the other button was to attack and. That was pretty unusual for games of this era because most of them were like jump and attack. And there was no jump. And it was this kind of selection of item. And I remember thinking about that and thinking, like, I think I was, I think I was envisioning a, a, at some point a Pink Panther game and then a Mickey Mouse game. And I was trying to imagine in my mind a control. And because I wanted to fit all the possible cool action I was, you know, imagining, I was imagining, you know, the idea of using this kind of like pad movement, like holding up and pressing a button and that would lead to this action. So I had this kind of process of of imagining how a game would, would play yeah. from a control point of view. Um, that's kind of, that's kind uh, of like, like cycling through the the kind of verbs in a in a LucasArts game, you know? Like if you, press, if you hold it down, you yeah. get look at, and if you do that, yeah. you grab it. If you press that, you open. Yeah. But then that, you know, you get lost into infinity with that, I'm sure, eventually. Um, so maybe, yeah, I I do remember that the thing we actually did, we were making lots of uh, like seemingly board game on paper, or like we just like buy those kind of like um, fake paper and draw like board games on them, uh, and I had a series of game with the same character and I made ten of them, and we would never play them, but we would make them. <laughs> You're and, an incredibly resourceful kid, Omar. You're making yeah. all sorts of cool stuff. Well, I, all the kids made things like that. It's just everybody has... I mean, I assume every kid made something. Uh, it's just that I guess I was obsessed with games. But there was a nice story where I, I, most of the kind of popular movie at the time, I, my parents didn't, didn't want me to watch them. But one day I, I managed to see um, the third Indiana Jones film. And I made one of those paper crafty board game of it. Uh, in the I don't know the next day or something. Okay. And I went to school with it, and by some stroke of luck, I managed to trade this game to a, with a kid for electronic game. What? So I don't know. Maybe I guess the kid was gullible. I don't know exactly <laughs> what happened, or or maybe that game was really beautiful. But it was like suddenly I had like this small electronic game, like a game um, and watch or something. So. 
So again, story is in two ways because it wasn't a Game and Watch; it was a small thing brand. But then a few weeks later, I traded this one for Game and Watch with another kid. <laughs> uh, so, which was that was very big because Game and Watch was like you know Christmas gift material, right? Absolutely. So I I sort of earned a Game and Watch by making my kind of rubbish Indiana Jones three uh crafty board game thing and how did like do you remember how that game even works like i'm assuming you would have figured out some basic rules and stuff yeah but i wouldn't play them so i assume they didn't really work they had this uh, <laughs> there was the dice was basically a grid with numbers so you would kind of close your eyes and kind of like loosely point your finger at the grid <laughs> so you, you're reinventing you, the dice aged like 10 uh, or something well because this thing has to be folded yeah and then there was this the little character was I don't know what it was. Uh, there was a little piece that you could move on the board. And it was just a board with, like, you know, rules, like, I don't know. There was custom rules. Like, maybe if you step on this one, you die. If you step on this one, you can move by 10 cells. I forgot, you know, this, this type of things. Uh, that's that's amazing. <laughs> but I sort of, I, I clearly remember the fact that I would, I would never play them. Like, it was just, uh, which is funny. But you managed to keep a straight face and be like, yeah, sure, this is totally worth your little um, electronic game. Elect- electronic game, yes. Uh, <laughs> and then the Game & Watch game was Ice Cream Racing. Uh, and it was amazing. I don't think I've ever played that. Ice Cream Racing. Uh, ice Climber. Oh, Ice Climber. There was an Ice Climber on the Game & Watch. Yes, yes, yes. Oh, man. So were you, like, were you just all in on it's- games then, basically? <laughs> It was my yeah. It became my obsession since I, since I got the Master System, really. Uh, pretty much, yeah. So looking at magazines and and you know trading it. I was very lucky because I lived in um, I lived in Paris and I lived very very close to the area that had all the game shops, including all the import shops. So when I got my Mega Drive, it was already a Japanese one and. We used to we used to do lots of tr- like trade of used games. So we would kind of like, you know, suppose we had ten friends playing games. Somebody every weekend somebody would sort of manage to scrap, you know, uh, the fifty francs, you know, the equivalent of like a few pounds, to trade a, a used game for another used game. And so we'd play all those crappy Japanese title that we couldn't read, and then. You know, they would, we, we, we played a lot of game because of that um, swapping system. And so were there any kind of standouts in amongst all these of the games that really stick out for you as being, like, somehow important or life-changing for whatever reason? Uh, I don't know. Life, I mean, this was Mega Drive era. I don't know if there was something life-changing, but we played, you know, I probably played, like, a few hundred Mega Drive game uh, at that age which which was i suppose very unusual yeah Uh, it's just because you know everybody at school would just go and trading this game and there was so many games going on and so we would play right i'll I'll change the question because that is you probably are too young for life changing but was there a game then maybe that you know you wouldn't trade in (coughs) that you would keep and say oh i'm going to keep this one because i really like this one or you're at least tempted to no because at the time we were i mean we like I probably had three games total. I would just always trade them and you know scrap the 
and like you know the scrap money from my parents to be able to get like you couldn't get many new games so i would always trade them at eventually once i finished them so there was just no quality uh, control whatsoever omar you just well, just game no, after game no. after game that after is, game that's not true like once you clear <laughs> the game i mean like for example one Boy three I, I played it i borrowed it from my friend so i didn't buy it but i borrowed it for the cards from my friend i probably played it for a few months and i gave it back to him um so lots of the game will finish them but uh, I would play a lot of bad game and a lot of good games. And um, but sorry, I think on. I think I had a tendency to buy the very bad game myself, and all my, good, <laughs> my friend bought the, the 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 good ones. That's why I had to borrow them from them. Like, but luckily we've discovered that you're incredible at trading things, so I'm sure you're able to <laughs> figure out the best way to get the best games. Yeah. Yes. I mean, everybody we were bored by their own games, so we had to trade them. And it sounds like you've got like a whole squad of people here all playing games together. Like, was it quite a a communal thing? Like, were there a lot of people around you playing games? Or you, you, did, did your family care about them, for instance? Oh, my family didn't at all. Uh, they, I mean, I didn't like them since I was I spent all my time on it. Uh, they were sort of worried about me playing games, so they would always hide a console. Um, but you know, I don't know. I. I Maybe a third or half of the kids at school would be playing game, and and the game nerd would be hanging out with the game nerds. You know, <laughs> it's what you do when you're twelve. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, so, so how about like as you got older, did it did it change, or were you just was that like you on the past, like just with the latest consoles? Did you ever switch to Nintendo? I I did actually. Well, I did actually trade my Master System for Game Boy. So my second console with the Game Boy. Um. So I played Tetris. I played. Uh, I don't know. It wasn't a Game Boy. Uh, it's the same way. Yeah, but we played lots of obscure puzzle games. And uh, I remember a Japanese game was a puzzle game. Was a, I think it was a tomato character. I forgot. Uh, but I remember playing a puzzle game for hours. Uh, <laughs> I don't remember the name. And then eventually, I traded that for a Mega Drive, and then for a Super Nintendo, and then I sold my Super Nintendo and went to PC for a while. And so, like, considering you've you've played like everything, it seems up to this point, you've made it a point to play as much as possible. Like, are there any kind of standout games for you that you were like, this is like, were you able to? Did you start to def- like, given where you've come now and you're, you're making games, like, mm. were, did you start to develop a, a taste and a feel for like, this is definitely a good game, this is definitely awful? Well, I think everybody. I mean, the good game with the same good games for everyone. I think. Yeah, I mean, pretty much. I, I I love playing Zelda three. I love playing Super Mario World. I love playing Wonder Boy three, uh, which we just remade. Um, I I wasn't playing RPG games so much when I was a kid. Uh, uh, I think I never I never stumbled on them for a long time, or I didn't understand what was happening. So it was mostly kind of action adventure game. Yeah. And although one of the things that I think we have actually spoken about over Twitter at some point in the past mm. is is the the lack of of love shown to to Alex Kidd, who's a much maligned video game character. Um, yeah, is that do you think just because you love Sega, or do you genuinely think that Alex Kidd's been given short shrift? No, I think it's no. I actually, I don't. I mean, I like Alex Kidd. I like the the the. The history of Alex Kidd, but I think the first one, Miracle World, wasn't that of a good game in terms of two days, uh, you know. Um, it doesn't like, hold up it, as well. 
yeah, that, that's the thing. It, it was nice at the time. It was nice when we had that with the console. Um, today, I wouldn't consider remaking Alex Kidding Michael World the same way we did Dragon's Trap because it doesn't, uh, I think it didn't age as gracefully as Dragon's Trap. No. Uh, uh, it would be fun to, you know, take Alex Kidd license and make a new game out of it and that universe. I think that would be cute. That would be sort of like a, you know, a Sega fanboy uh, fantasy. Yeah. But I'm worrying not enough people would recognize the character anymore. Like I don't, I yeah. don't know if it's got that same uh, marquee value. I I don't know. I, if we make a great game out of it, it oh yeah, it of would, course, it would it would come back. But I don't think yeah, I don't think it's a. And the reason it's been dropped is that I don't think the game went went, went that good. Uh, so you know there wasn't there was games where I think. Um, okay, so when you switched to, to PC, was that just because it was the latest thing, or did you start to have kind of an inkling that you'd like to, to make things? I let me try to remember the, the thing. I say we got a, we got to use computer from a friend of my dad, and one day a friend of mine came in with a like basic programming book. And I don't know where he learned basic, but he, he had some basis of basics, and it just we just started programming very simple things. I think I was 13, I think, at the time. Okay. Um, uh, so I still spent the next few years mostly playing, but I think for, you know, maybe two years I was I was toying with programming uh, increasingly. And did you ever uh, think, like, this was going to be something that you were going to do? Like, do you remember when that sort of switch happened, if there was a specific thing or game that made you think that? I, I sort of feel I was. I always wanted to do that. Uh, I uh, when I had my Game Boy, I remember claiming I wanted to make games. So I already, I always had this this desire. Um, and obviously, when I was trying trying to do things with, with basic, I was trying to make games. What sort uh, of stuff were you, were you trying to make? My first game was. Um, uh, what do you call this kind of uh, text adventure game? Okay. Uh, except, you know, it, it was a rubbish game, so there was only one thing you could type and it would just progress. So eventually it was <laughs> a linear story with like one good choice every time, but it gave the illusion that, uh, that it was a game. <laughs> and then uh, a few years later, I made a, a, a sort of Tron game you know, uh, snake type of things. Yeah, like the, uh, the line racing thing. But it was quite polished, and it was four players, and we would actually be playing it with with my friend um, at home or at other friends' computers. So it was actually a game that was being played. And, and I, I, I guess that probably made an impression in the sense that, you know, what you're making is meaningful and being used by someone. Absolutely, that's got to spare you on. Plus, you know, you you had yeah. this early success with your Indiana Jones board game and stuff, so you you could see there was a viable future there. Yeah, but that uh, one nobody played it. Whereas <laughs> the... <laughs> but but so like, did you did you have that in mind then? Did you like go to university thinking, right, I'm going to go and try and learn more coding, see if I can get into games? Like, was there? Did you know of anyone like locally or th- that would have been involved in making games? Are there any companies or anything? I think well no I think it's the 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 opening f- came from the the moment I had a modem 
so I would first go on those BBSs and then on the internet. Um, and this is where I sort of like, you know, talk to other programmers. Uh, so I made the first version of MakeCAD emulator before I went to uni. Um, and what and then did I went, that though? Like, I mean, that's huh? th that seems like quite a bold thing to do. Like, what what prompted you to make this emulator? Like, were there any Master System emulators at that point? No, there were, there were, there were, there were a few. Then there was Master Gear, there was Massage, and a few of them. Um, I don't know. I, w I always wanted to make one, I suppose. Uh, actually, one of my projects before doing that was to, I wanted to make a sequel to Wonder Boy 3. Oh, interesting. I, re I remember enrolling a team to do that, and I was a terrible programmer, so it just didn't go anywhere. And I think we tried twice with two different teams. Uh, and it never went anywhere. But at least for one of the projects, uh, I had a, a girl making making a module music file for the game. Uh, so there were music for kind of hypothetical Wonder Boy Seven, <laughs> which never happened. And like you said, you made this team. Happens. Are they just people like from from the internet? Yeah, they were from the internet. Yeah. Well, yes, some of them were in France. So I actually met them, but I met them through the internet through this kind of BBSs. Yeah. So BBSs were, I don't know if everybody's listening know what BBSs were. They were like this kind of pre-internet. I mean, internet already existed, but in the early 90s, like people rarely had internet unless they worked for university. Yeah. Uh, BBSs were you would basically connect to a server that was hosted by someone. Usually it was like a hobbyist in their home. They would have like three phone lines so people could connect. And then it was, you know, they had message board, they had ways for people to download files. Uh, so it was the same principle as the internet, except it was kind of very local. Yeah. So you would phone in those, you know, I would phone in those three or four BBS I would go to and then, you know, exchange message there and, you know, exchange a lot of drama because everybody was into drama at the time. <laughs> into drama? Oh, you mean just mean like internet drama as opposed to like yeah, yeah, theatrical yeah, drama? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, internet drama, like being 15 and, you know, trolling each other, disagreeing and oh, posting, I quit and bold letters and come back the next day, <laughs> type of things. So, I mean, um, as much as, like, I look back fondly on early internet, it has pretty much always <laughs> kind of been, like, the way it is. Only now there's yeah. way more people. Yeah, the adventure of BBS, they've all been wiped out. Yeah, pretty so much. My so my own drama of being, you know, sixteen year old and trying to hack the other guy's BBS was <laughs> was completely wiped out out of existence. Was if that wasn't the internet, it would be more embarrassing. That is that is the one the one nice thing about you, you lose all these early websites that I made when I was fifteen yeah. about poetry yeah. and oh god, <laughs> um, thank goodness. So so when you went, to, did you go to university like in in France in Paris or? I went to Paris. I went to a private school called Epitech, which was a kind of computer sciences school. Okay, cool. Uh, but was that like, did you move out of your house and stuff and go somewhere else? No, it was in Paris. So you just stayed uh, at home? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was okay. still with my parents. Uh, but by the time, because Mecha took off, uh, I was already accumulating Sega games uh, because Mecha was a kind of a cartridge wear and I would ask people to send me cartridge if they like the program. Yes. I think I think my friend Ben so, again sent you a bunch of cartridges. Yeah. So suddenly I was, I don't know, 18, 19. 
I was with my parents, and I would be receiving this cartridge almost every day. Uh, so you know, at some point, I had like you know a thousand cartridges at home. Uh, <laughs> and why, why, like, how did you, went, how did you figure that out? Was that just like you were part of a, a community of people? Because I'm, I'm assuming you need specific hardware to kind of download ROMs and things. That was that. Uh, I always was in contact with the right people. Who, like, I never knew how to make any hardware myself, or electronics, but um, there were always a few guys willing to help with that. Uh, there was, and the first guy. There was a guy in the UK who made the first kind of like reader for the math system, or the first kind of sort of known one, which sort of spawned the, the emulation era for the master system. Um, I forgot his name, Andrew something. And then, <laughs> and then eventually, I got in hold with another guy called Philip Smith, also in the UK, and he made this kind of custom hardware for me to allow me to dump cartridges. I mean, like uh, this. I'm sure this to you is whatever. It's ancient history, but it's it's still like it's such a, a frontier, and it's such a a really small community. You know, the kind of emulation scene. Like, and I feel like yeah, there was a window of maybe ten or fifteen years where everyone was figuring everything out, and kind of it's kind of died off a little bit now. I don't. You don't see as much because yeah, yeah. the newer machines are you know exponentially harder to to emulate so it was just this real kind of golden kind of period of time with these specific small groups of individuals yeah. i mean it's amazing because not just because it made it meant i could play all these games that i wanted as a kid but just as a an archiving tool like it's incredible yeah yeah no it was it was it was probably less than 10 years i think it probably it started in i would say 96 um I, I don't know what it ended, but I think it lasted less than 10 years. But it seemed very big from the inside at the time because there was you know, countless websites providing news and tools and emulator release every day. You know, um, So I think it probably touched a fair amount of um, you know, gamers on the internet in those, in those years, you know, 96 to 2000-ish. I, I, I just mean more uh, like the the actual people making the things like making yeah. the emulators and making the hardware like that's a relatively small community i'd say it's possible yes yeah. i mean there's this a few names and like there's the guy called charles mcdonald's uh we never met but he's been doing lots of hardware and reverse ring of things and he's been helping us a lot over the past 20 years and i know he's been helping a million other people so you know he's the kind of guy in the shadow with you know help, like uh, lending his skills to other people and do you mean just purely in terms of emulation or just in like the wider world of video game design no here that, that was emulation that was like doing, making hardware for you know damping cartridge or studying hardware or understanding you know how a console work type of things that's amazing that is amazing yeah. um so so when i guess when did you sort of when did it become more like a career like when, when did you start looking for a job what sort of stuff were you looking to do so my first um i don't say i considered working on i mean i remember when i was 15 i tried to call the the hotline of infogram okay and uh and adlin software and ask them if i could get a job there um and, and that didn't work out but in 99 i saw an ad in a in a kind of geeky magazine. Actually, I didn't see the ad. I was working for them, so the the guy sent me the ad before it was published, and there was a company in Paris 
pretty close to where I lived, uh, looking for programmers. Uh, so I applied there, and I managed to get an internship there. So that was before I started uni. It was basically the, the holidays before uni, um, between when I got my, um, I don't know you call it in England, the, the degree you get when you're like about 18. Okay, we don't, oh, like uh, an A-level or something. Something yeah. like that. I got that, and instead of holidays, I went to, I did an internship. Okay. So the, the next day I was working in a game company. Uh, what was the company? It was called Inutero, and they made a game called Evil Twin. Okay. Which was released on the Dreamcast, PS2, and PC. Uh, and they made a few other games. Uh, I think they made four games in total. They shipped four games. Evil Twin was sort of the big one. Uh, it was published by Ubisoft, and they were like, you know, it was this very ambitious title where they, oh, we're going to be the next Rayman type of things. Yeah. The next Mario. Uh, and, you know, this kind of French... Uh, very detailed art, and it was a bit dark, and it was quite beautiful. Uh, but you know, the game wasn't that good, and it was the project was late. It had every issue possible, so eventually, it wasn't the next Rayman. <laughs> uh, but you know, um, being 19 and being you know witnessing that from the inside um, as an intern was was really um, really interesting. <laughs> you you say interesting, like was it? Was it good or was it like? No, it was, did it, it live was up not, to what you you thought? Oh, it was, it was no, be it like? was amazing. Yeah, it was yeah. amazing. Uh, it was you know, it was totally amazing because usually usually people wouldn't do that kind of internship that early. So yeah, um, you know, I didn't know what I was doing, but you know, um, I I sort of could see the dynamics, the you know, the size of the team, the sort of scopes because it was very ambitious. They were making all those tools. They were porting to different platforms, so I could sort of like I had a I was sort of looking at that from a distance, but it was very uh, enlightening to see it. So it was it was a great great experience. Oh, absolutely! And like, and you've already yeah. like got so much experience like before you even go into university. So like, where did where did that take you after university? Uh, I've so what in uni I tried. There was no game program where I was. It was uh, so I actually sort of started one at uni. Because I wanted to make games, <laughs> so I sort of like begged the school director, and I, we, eventually we sort of got got you know a place and funding to buy consoles and hardware, and we started sort of like. And you did this I was as running a student. With, uh, yes. Well, my school was it was this kind of school where there's no there was no real teachers. I mean, there were teacher, but they were probably all ex students. Uh, <laughs> it wasn't like you know they were very formal teachers. We make lots of projects, uh, so there was lots of it was like uh, diving straight straight into programming from day one, um, uh, and because they had no one you know caring about games, I ended up being the, the sort of like managing this with a friend. Okay, uh, and obviously, obviously, I wasn't really a teacher myself. I was trying to you know uh, share my experience with other other students, but um, it worked out okay actually. This, there was. I think the first year we had 50 students, and they actually released a few small Dreamcast games. And I think they were the first homebrew 3D Dreamcast game, like with you know with the 3D engine. That's amazing. Uh, uh, it was it was quite cool. What was the and name of the, we, the game? <laughs> there were at least four games. Um, I'm trying to. I'm trying. Well, to, that makes it okay. There was four, so you can't possibly I, remember four. 
I have to. I, I just googled the, the ISO the ISO file, so I, I'm gonna. Oh, some some people made covers for that. So, oh wow, I'm looking at that. Oh, amazing. The, the school was called Epitech. Okay. And uh, and four of the games were released. And I just sent you a link on uh, on Skype, uh, which we can. I, I guess if people listen to that, Google for Epitech. E P I T E C H. That's the name of the school. And Dreamcast, they can find those games. Oh, so it was, it was like a, an, a four games in one. Yeah, they were a bit different too, but we assembled them into a into a. Oh, this video of people playing that. I'm not sure I want to click on that video. <laughs> I mean, I didn't work on this game, but we're kind of helping the student making it happen. Um, and then we worked on the Game Boy Advance, and we managed to convince. There was a company called Wonderware at the time, which was a, a middleware made by Criterion. Yeah. So it was kind of pre-Unity, Unity, so to speak. And they had an antenna in France, and we managed to convince them to give us license to uh, use the engine, uh, which at the time was very big because this engine were relicensed for school or something. It was very kind of like sold to game companies. <laughs> So, so I tried to make games for most of school as much as I could, uh, and then after that, I landed a job in a company in California, a small company called Tanico, which you haven't heard of. But the cool thing is that they were working on a DS before the DS was announced. Okay, cool. Because they struck this deal with with Atari. That's sort of why I joined that. Uh, the project was kind of retro game related. And I was learning to say, oh, this is the next internet console and nobody knew about it. Uh, so I went there and worked on that. Um, and the game was a bit crap. <laughs> um, but uh, it sort of got me inspired by the DS. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and touchscreens. And this is where I started making prototypes for what would become Soul Bubbles, which was a game we made on DS uh, after I came back to France. I mean, like this, I'm I'm continually obsessed by not obsessed, uh, impressed by your initiative. That you just you just seem to get shit done, Omar. You just said, right, let's just do this now, and uh, well, it's it's really quite impressive. But like, <laughs> while you're you know making games and setting up uh, university courses and stuff, like were you yeah. still playing a lot of games? Like were you still playing as much as you could? I played a lot when I was at uni because I was I, I was basically living in it. We had this kind of a basically they gave us there was a garage, an old garage, and it was a total mess and it wasn't fit for living. And we sort of painted the place and built it and made it a the you know the, the place where people would make their games. And I was more or less living there. And and so there was a TV uh, that I got the, the a big TV that I got to school to purchase and I would be playing. <laughs> I, it was Dreamcast era, so I was playing lots of Dreamcast games. Uh, I remember playing, uh, you know, I played Res a lot, Spatial 5, Virtual Tennis, those games. Uh, so, yeah, I was playing games. Uh, but, you know, I guess less and less in the sense that if you, as you're right, when you, you know, I was working on Soul Bubbles, for example, I didn't work, I didn't play a lot of games the same way like this year. I haven't played a lot of games because I was just too busy making mine. And so, how did how did Soul Bubbles come about then? So that this is after you've kind of come back from California. Yeah, I re- actually remember because I was actually I was uh, there was a uh, maybe it's for being in the US, but all the game I saw at the time, so like surrounding me, I go to the shop where like you know 
you know, gangster shooting each other's skateboards and American football games, all these kind of yeah. things. And uh, that sort of made me depressed one, one afternoon, and I started making what would be the opposite of that, and I started making a game with soap bubbles. And it wasn't a game, it was just an experiment thing. But I eventually became... Uh, uh, they eventually became uh, soul levels after many iterations. And so, did you sort of set up your own little company to do that? Is this like no, I'm assuming? No, I just no, no, no. I haven't. I just I made this prototype, and I, a friend of mine sent it to another friend of mine who was running his company in France. A guy called Olivier Lejard he was running a company called Make and Slip, and they were making a a 3D poker game. And he saw my prototype, and I think Olivia always we always wanted to work together. So he sort of like uh, started encouraging me to kind of like flesh this prototype out. Uh, so he basically paid me for a while to 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 grow this prototype to make it something playable, and then we eventually hired a, a proper team for it, and uh, we found a publisher and we made it a real game. But it was actually funded by him. I was I was sort of driving the project uh, through the you know the gameplay and the technology but um, it was in my company that must have been so exciting though to finally sort it of was, get your own thing out there it was it was yeah it was it was it was very lucky of us because Olivier was uh, very kind and very smart and it gave us a lot of time to to make this game happen so we spent I spent almost four years working on that. Uh, so it's a very long time, but I sort of learned everything doing that. And uh, there was the, I, the first year I was alone, so I just you know I was I had to figure out what to do and how to build this technology. And it it, it took a lot of time, but it's very it's very beneficial when you can have this time, like calendar Absolutely. time. Yeah, calendar time is is more worthy i think than just putting 10 programmers in a project and like what happens with with mecca this like when did you kind of stop with that was there a point where you were like oh, i can't be bothered with this anymore so i didn't i never fully stopped but i i i still pull up releases but it's it hasn't recovered from being an old uh dust software that was written by somebody who just knew nothing like understood nothing about programming so it's like you know, the code is horrible. Uh, it sort of barely works. Uh, it gives the illusion that it works on the outside, but if you look inside, you just any program would have a heart attack. <laughs> and uh, and since I ported to Windows, I never, I never, the, the Windows port never like worked properly. There was always like some sound issues and stuff. So it's sort of a bit died there over the years. Uh, and I still haven't got around to fix it, uh, so that's kind of you know, fifteen years of procrastination now. Um, <laughs> um, this is your life's work, Omar. Well, uh, you certainly. Like, I played many, many hours of old Mass yeah. System games on that, mostly hours completely because I was just nostalgic yeah. for it. Yeah, it was. It was very, was very good when it was an MS DOS at the time. So in eight ninety nine, two thousand, two thousand one, it wasn't that good anymore because we're better stuff and people move to window type of thing what is um, um, what's your favorite emulator? i still updated because as i oh hello i don't know i don't yeah yeah can you hear me 
I can, yeah. Sorry, just cut it for a second there. Can you? Uh, I don't know. Uh, you mean for Sega stuff? Just for anything. Like, is there a specific emulator that you're like, oh, man, this is... How do they do that? This is really good. Well, uh, I mean, at the time, the, there was this guy, uh, Iceradis, making the, the the Bloodlust software emulator. Uh, he made one called Genesis and Nesticle and Callus. Yep. And those were amazing uh, uh, because they had tools that really inspired me because they had tools where you could sort of look into the games and that user interface, that network. So they were like, they were the first fully fleshed product in miniature. And, and Mika was sort of inspired by that uh, in being a, uh, a product and not just a exe file that you run on the command line, you know. Yeah. Make it also almost felt like there was a you know uh, I don't say community, but you know with a theme and on the tools and the documentation and it was you know it was all well packaged. Yeah. And that made that that's sort of what made it nice at the time. Uh, so I guess um, this emulator from Bloodlust Software inspired me at the time. Cool. Well, I'm going to take a, a brief detour, um, Omar, and sure. ask you some relatively quick-fire questions. Is that cool? Sure. Okay. Yeah. Omar, if you had to play a game with death for your own mortal soul, what game are you best at? Oh, to save my soul? Yeah. Well, I would say Wonder Boy then, Dragon's Strike, because I've played so much right now. <laughs> I, I can play some of the stage by closing my eyes probably yeah I used to be able to do that with Alex Kidd and Miracle World actually yeah. but I think that's because it was the only game I had for about six months um, but one point is really Psycho hard Fox a lot, yeah I used to play Psycho Fox a lot also because Psycho Fox was one of the first game which worked on, uh, on Mecha and it was sort of uh, my batch file to, to run to test the emulator was always using Psycho Fox okay so I played the first level like a million times. <laughs> okay, so you can play Wonder Boy. That's fine. Um, if uh, if if you are prone to such things, Omar, what is your worst rage quit? I'm trying to remember now. Well, I remember playing Kid Cameron when I was a kid. Uh, you know, have you played Kid Chameleon? Yeah, I have. Kid Chameleon, that was like game was just impossibly long, uh, and I I remember reaching the final bosses after what seemed like you know years of training, and I sort of died in the final boss, and I was so pissed off at it that I went out and sold the game at the shop, sold it back. So I guess it was a rage quit. So I never actually cleared the game. Now that's not that bad. They, they, you know, there's nothing yeah. broken. There's no punch in yeah. the walls or anything. Yeah. No, I don't think game made me. Uh, I don't think I got violent to the point of uh, throwing computers at the wall from games. Um, okay. Well, are you like? Are you a competitive gamer? Have you ever been locked in a competition with a, a friend or foe? I like to turn people and pretend I'm good at a game just to annoy them or to just, <laughs> just uh, cheat talk. Uh, but I'm actually not very good at them. I remember like taunting a game to play like, Street Fighter, a guy to play Street Fighter for years at school. And when we played it like five years later, it was very disappointed I was so bad at it. <laughs> <laughs> so you, you, you like the 
the kind of the excitement of starting a fight, but you're not that bothered once it gets going. Yeah, yeah. Mm. No, I'm not. I'm not very good at the game, actually. I'm not very patient with um, analyzing the rules, exact rules or something. I'm very instinctive, so I just like tend to do things fast and make the same mistakes over and over again. It's like when you're a kid, you're making these these board games, and I don't want to play them. I just I'll make them and I'll forget. Yeah. No, but I play a lot of games, but not necessarily in a competitive way. Or, there's no uh, sort of well, like competitive not, not games being, that you play yeah. a lot. Well, I used to play, you know, Mario Kart a lot uh, when it was out. Um, I used to play Street Fighter a lot. Uh, lately, I wouldn't say I don't. I don't play many competitive games. I lately I've been mostly playing games that have an ending and that I can finish in a few hours. So competitive game tends to be games that are designed in a way that are evergreen. You can play them forever. And mm-hmm. I I get preemptively bored because I don't want to specialize in learning uh, and a virtual sport, aka game. So I don't I don't play them very long. Well, with that in mind, I don't know if that makes sense. I don't know if that makes sense. <laughs> no, no, it totally does because yeah. then it kind of leads into my next question, which is like, has, yeah. there, has there ever been a game that kind of that has consumed your life to the point where you're like, I need to delete this from my system because I'm getting nothing done? Oh yes, but the competitive. I'll say yes, um, but it's usually competitive against myself. It's usually games that requires me to be kind of fast. Uh, so games like Tetris. Okay. Uh, you know, I would, I would, I would, uh, I wanted to max out Tetris on the DS, but you cannot max out it, it never ends. Uh, but I could play it for hours at the max difficulty levels. Game like Super Hexagon, you know, uh, I, 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 I finished the game and I would, you know, I would dream about it. And um, that's the kind of game I have to live for my, for my, for my systems. Kind of game that, which makes me prone to try to optimize my abilities at the game yeah and you start dreaming so, about it and all that yeah so super i probably played two like two months this game for you know hours and days when it was released until i finished it it was very hard to finish uh but i would literally dream about it and then i deleted it <laughs> it's I weird one day i just yeah I, i've never got on with super hexagon and i don't know why like i never it never sucks me in in that same way yeah. i think it's because i'm not good enough at it and i'm a bit of a sore loser so yeah and I've just not put in enough time. Maybe if I was younger, I guess the 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 the, the fact that you lose so much it was exciting me in a way. <laughs> but I think at some point, if two years ago, three years ago, I was in the train. I just deleted all the games, not all the games, all the the addictive games. So there was, I think I started playing threes at the time. Yeah, and it was very good. But I played too much. I just deleted three super angles ago, and then a few other games. Just deleted all the way to like they're gone. <laughs> I had to do that with Drop Seven recently. Yeah, uh, again. Uh, no, I tend to do that very fast with uh, with um, with fun games. Um, w- the last one of the the quick fire section is uh, I try and ask everybody because you know games are theoretically possible of evoking all kinds of emotions, but one of the the rarest is uh, is comedy, uh, is laughter. So, what games, if any, have really made you laugh? Mm-mm-mm-mm. Let me think. Uh, uh, that's a good question because it's it's not common. Uh, I have very t- I have very bad memory actually, so I don't remember right now. I'm sure 
it happened a lot, uh, but I can't recall any right now. Of no, it's tricky. It's tricky. I would I would imagine there would be situation where I would play with other players. Yeah, I mean that that's I one of the I common answers. Yeah, I can't picture a game where I would love by myself playing a game. Um, but I don't remember right now. That's absolutely fine. Sorry um, for that. No, no, don't worry about it. <laughs> um, well, so I guess like, like I'm really interested in hearing about like about Wonder Boy and the the development of it. So it's kind of what what yeah. led you to that. I uh, so because of Mecha and all those things, I was always you know into like reverse engineering and 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 this thing how the game worked. And I I knew I wanted to make something with the series, the series, but. This project started when I was curious enough about the game to try to look for secrets inside the original game ROM. So I started like reverse entering the code and looking at it. Uh, how do you mean by it. how do you mean like searching for secrets? Well, because the game is a lot of secrets, you know, like uh, invisible doors or yeah. the way the items are dropped a bit weird. You can see there's patterns to it, but they're hard to understand. Some items have special features, but you know, so. The internet, if you look at an FIQ, people knew a lot of things about the game, but my question was, do we actually know everything about the game? I okay. didn't know that. So I started looking into the ROM. I started studying how it worked. Um, that was, I would say, 2013, you know, maybe spending a few weekends. And then 2014, I sort of double-dipped into that. And then I started making, you know, a tool that would allow me to visualize the game level by reading them from ROM directly. Uh, and I think at that point, I sort of like knew that I had enough understanding and data to make a, a remake of it. And was that so, the aim uh, or was that just like a natural progression? Uh, I think it, I think at the very beginning, it, it, the aim was just to find, you know, secret doors. Uh, but I think at some point I transitioned to Let's make a remake. I don't know when. Uh, but somewhere I just flipped and said, you should do that. I think it's when I... It probably was Christmas when I emailed Ben Fike, who is the artist and animator on Dragonstrap. Yeah. Uh, so he's also the guy who made most of the art for Soul Bubbles on the DS. Okay. So I worked with him 10 years ago. I knew he was sort of a fan of Sega Systems. And uh, he hasn't been working on the game for 10 years. I just kind of called email him one Christmas um, saying, hey, um, hi, I haven't talked to you for five years. Uh, should we make a game together? And um, and he sort, of started, he sort of said yes and started making research. And this kind of took us into, I guess from the moment it said, I, I got the idea, probably mail him the same day. And then suddenly I sort of like switched from, oh, we could actually make a remake of that. Why, why is it like, do you think that you're, so interested in kind of the, the the past so to speak like what 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 prompted you to you know to to start with with emulation and now you're working on like remakes of these old games do you just have like a real bond with them or like what is it do you think that that, that drives you to do that i think i have a bond but it's kind of like chicken eggy it's like spending time with these things makes you a bond i think it's I think it's maybe because I'm a good technician, but I'm not a good creative slash designer. So, you know, working on this kind of, for example, working on a is is uh, an easy way to get 
tangible results on the screen that makes people happy without involving, you know, an artist or without involving game design skills or, you know. Okay. So I suspect it is a bit of a creative cop-out for me uh, because I'm I'm not good enough at imagining complete new game. Um, I will keep trying, but... <laughs> Uh, but I mean, you have made your own games as well. It's just it's interesting that that. Is. Well, yeah, I, I have, but they were physical soul bubbles were really driven from a, I guess, a technical oddity, like you're making this kind of like smooth blowing bubble physics thing. So you know, it was a toy more than a game. Okay. And uh, it sort of evolved and existed from this kind of technical oddities, uh, and then it would it 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 became a game. Yes. But it didn't start with a v- clear vision of how it would become a game. Yeah. Um, well, it's it's served you extremely well so far, so I'm sure it'll it'll keep doing that. Like, how how was the process of of, of like? I'm sure the the remake became much more difficult than you imagined, or was it quite simple? Or because that seems like were. quite a huge undertaking, and also yeah. to just say we're going to do that doesn't necessarily mean yeah. that you're allowed to do that. Yeah. Well, it was both. It was both much harder than anticipated, uh, but it was still relatively easy in the sense that, you know, remaking game is easier than making in your game. Yeah, uh, and that was also part of my. That was part of my plan. So I knew I wanted to. I, when I quit my job at Media Molecule, I knew I wanted to start a company, uh, in France, and everybody already told me I'm crazy. Uh, so if adding to that, I have to create a new game. Uh, you know, I just got out from Terraware and Dreams. Uh, both are really good games. And Dreams is not out yet, uh, but both both uh, projects are were really hard, hard to make. And making a remake was also me saying, okay, this is going to be like easier, so I'll be able to learn to run a company and like the business, and I'll be able to spend time doing the. Uh, a lot more communication marketing. Uh, so yeah. I wanted I wanted to make a game that was simple um, to be able to spend the time doing that. Uh, because I wanted to make a game that would sell, and for that I wanted to you know spend brain time in you know doing communication, doing marketing, managing you know communities, making websites, these kind of things. Uh, so that worked out very well. This is which yeah. is what happened. Like we spend. Uh, I didn't do it alone. We do it all together, and, and our publisher Dotemu helped a lot and did a lot of things. And Ben obviously drew all the art for it. But I spent a lot of my time thinking about the, you know, all these communication things, um, marketing things, answering everybody's message. Um, so that worked out well. And was that and like said, what was the the inspiration to set up the own studio? Is that just a case of you wanted to work somewhere smaller or go back to France or? Well. Uh, I wanted to go back to France, uh, and I, I, I think uh, I just wanted to make things in small team and not have to argue with too many other people. <laughs> I think I'm, I, I'm probably not very good at working with other people, so the less people there are, the easiest it's for me and for <laughs> others, mostly for others. So it was uh, there. Were, there was it. So it was a mixture of that, and I, I always wanted to do something with Wonder Boy. I was was, I was fantasizing on making a Wonder Boy thing for such a long time, yeah. and 
the creative part of me, the kind of like the want to be a game designer part of me doesn't want to do that. <clears throat> I want to make new games. Uh, but then the, the attraction of, of doing it was so high that I said, like, it's probably easier to do it while, you know, while uh, Ben is around, while, you know, there's a just a right time to do it. Absolutely. And I'll be done with, I'll be done with it. And what about, like, the licensing uh, side of it and, like, you know, because, like, how did you figure all that out? Was that, was that easier than you thought? It was, uh, it was, I mean, it took time. It's like, if if from if from day one you try to get an answer to this question, you're gonna just give up. So it's like, I guess when we started with hobbies projects, and we just spent a few months prototyping it. And what we did is that we brought it to uh, Mr. Nishizawa, which is the which was we, we was the co-founder and, and owner of Weston. <clears throat> so they 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 had the IP back then. Okay. And we showed that to him. I, I really like. I was in contact with him before, and I sort of casually mentioned I wanted to do something with one boy, and they always say, "Yeah, let's do it." I guess at that point he thought we, you know, we weren't very serious about it. And are they still but making games? Things, doing a prototype. So he actually closed. Uh, <clears throat> he actually closed and sold his company. He, he sold his IP and closed the company by the end of 2014. Right. Okay. I actually feel bad for him because. I think now is the time that the li- his license is going to make money for the first time in 25 years. <laughs> and it just sold his company. Uh, so I just realized that a few days ago. I said, shit, like the, the because we, <clears throat> basically we, 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 you know, they're going to make money out of, out of the game because it's their game we were making. Yeah. Uh, and I just realized, shit, maybe, I don't know what's his deal with the guy he sold it with, but two, but I don't know if he still owns it or not. Uh, it's, it's quite unclear. Basically the IP moved to a different company and he's still part of that and helping with the licensing, but I, I'm not sure if he owns it anymore. Okay, so do you just play like, like almost like a royalty, basically, to the whoever yeah. owns the IP? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but basically, when we when we first talked to him, he still I, he still had it. Uh, so it's his fault for selling it. He should have known. <laughs> uh, but we we showed him the game, the prototype, and he he really liked it, and he was very uh, supportive of it, and. He basically gave us a go to say, like, you know, you, you can do it. Or, you know, we didn't have a formal contract of anything back then, but it was sort of the, the the you know, it was one step forward to say, we can do this yeah. game. No, he didn't own the trademark, the Sega trademark. Well, you don't own a trademark, but you register it or something. We knew it. Uh, that was Sega. and But because we knew that Weston licensed that game with under a different name at the time, my plan when it was just Ben I was to not even try to talk to Sega because it was like we, like I don't want to be start talking to Japanese lawyers we're gonna get crushed you know so my plan A was to <clears throat> not kill the game Wonder Boy was to call it you know Wonder Bob Wonder Girl something <laughs> that was my uh, my plan A uh, I didn't be like uh, that's why I was talking to everyone like I'm not even trying to get I don't want to talk to Sega because you know. <clears throat> We're too small. They're gonna to want to publish it. Uh, we're gonna lose control over communication, things like that. Um, eventually, what happened is that uh, we start looking for foundings um, because we make games, so we don't have any savings. Uh, <laughs> and and Datemu, uh, 
uh, also in Paris and they sort of specialized in retro licenses and they were very happy with it and we ended up they ended up you know founding the project to make it happen and because the business and experience is also you know dealing with all licenses they convinced us to go and just knock at Sega doors and ask for them you know if we can use Wonder Boy and because they've done that before they're more established than us it was also easier for them to do it <clears throat> and also at that point we had a prototype that was decent enough that you know when you knock at Sega's door and showing a game that's already half done uh, and you say we could use Wonder Boy we could not use it you know it's I guess it's easier for for them to say yes and so they just said yes uh, well, yes, but it took you know it took a million years to do it. Uh, <laughs> it's a it's a Japanese yes, it's a Japanese loyal yes. So it took a it took a long time, and um, I, I guess we only we delayed releasing the announced trailer until we had the the final go for it. <clears throat> so we, we released the trailer in in June two thousand sixteen. And it's only about that moment that we knew that we could use Wonder Boy safely. Um, so, you know, we worked for more than a year without knowing if the game would be called Wonder Boy or something else. That's amazing. And and it's wonderful. Like, the annotation, the, it, it's it's brilliant. I mean, it's one of my, my favorites. It's such an evocative game of my youth because it's one of those games that I played so much as a kid and then kind of yeah but it's not one that's kind of been repeated through history for like the past in the same way mario or sonic has you know yeah. nobody really talks about wonder boy so it's a real like really zooms you back into that moment really quite intensely yeah yeah yeah, yeah it's very good for that it, it was it was left kind of untouched for such a long time yeah uh, uh both kind of unstained by you know it didn't have bad bad remakes done uh, it didn't have amazing sequel done so, um, so it was a so it was a good moment to 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 seize it, yeah. I guess. And I don't uh, think I've ever played it normally before. I think this is the first yeah. time because I, it was always just you put in the West one cheat and you just okay, start yeah. being able to transform. Yeah. I don't think I'd yeah. ever played it through all the way through yeah. like normally because it was so hard and I think I was too young to really figure it out properly. Um, so yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's, it holds up so well. And like when you originally sort of started doing this, and you were looking for secrets, did you actually did you actually find any secrets, any uh, hidden secrets? Well, we didn't find like extra doors and, and levels. Uh, we found we understood lots of <clears throat> details about how the game was functioning, how the you know every random drops because every every monster has different stats for drops and. We understood a few secrets we didn't know about, like when you you know mash the buttons when getting a potion in the original, it would kind of uh, affect the number of health you would get. This kind of things that people don't seem to they didn't seem to know about it on the internet. Okay, uh, but it was nothing like oh, there's a hidden boss in the game type of things. Yeah, unfortunately. <laughs> but still, you know, it, it all worked out in the end. Yeah. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. So I, I think like we've covered all sorts of stuff, but like, are you are you still excited about the future now that the game is out? And you, know, you said earlier you're still in kind of you know communications mode, but uh, yeah. have you got ideas of where you're going next? Are you are you excited for the future of games? I have I have no idea actually. Uh, we still well, no, we're making the Steam version of the game. Uh, we still decided whether we we like 
I think Ben would like to do a remake, another remake. Yeah. Uh, but we would have to find a game that everybody loves and that is good enough, but not too good because if the game was too beautiful, the original there's no sort of there's no point in making a new version of it. Uh, so it's to be uh, it has to be ugly enough and great enough, <laughs> and and then it has to be a game that we can get a license off, right? <clears throat> so I think as much as I love the Sega game, I think the the game that would fit the most of the criteria the best would be like old Nintendo games, except uh, uh, you know Nintendo is not going to let us touch Zelda or Mario, right? So yeah, so this isn't going to happen. So I think, I think we we're still gonna consider what and add, add to the list of you know checklists. We need to make a game that other people will care about, because if I make a Psycho Fox remake, uh, nobody will buy it. I would so, be very excited about a Psycho Fox so, remake. Yeah, but you know what I mean. Also, like, yeah, like, no, I know exactly what you mean. You have to, we have to like align all the stars, and I think for Wonder Boy three they were very well aligned. Uh, it's a game that people fondly remember, both for the gameplay and for the music. It was untouched. The license was pretty accessible. It was 8-bit, so it was sufficiently uh, easy to upgrade. Because if we remake, you know, uh, a beautiful Mega Drive game, even with Ben Art, the the change would be less striking, I think. Yeah. So all those factors. It's always so I don't know. always Alex Kidd, Omar. It's always Alex Kidd. There's always, uh, but then then I think. Shinobi World was really good, but then you're kind of mixing far too many different IPs. I, I don't like. I mean, Shinobi World is well done, but I think it's pretty. Uh, it's pretty tame. Uh, like, it wouldn't. I don't think it would hold up as a new game. Uh, so I don't know yet. Uh, maybe we'll make a new game using uh, kind of retro sensibilities, or maybe I'll just snap out and make something very different. Uh, I'm not yet sure, but. The idea of making games—it's a bit tiring, actually. <laughs> I'm just saying it. No, it, <laughs> no, it's true. I'm not, I'm not. I'm not kidding. It's like every game I we make, you. every game we make is like, oh, this is going to be the last game because it's just, <laughs> so. Why are we doing this? It's just too exhausting. I just, you know, I just took like five years and ten kilos, and I don't want to make games anymore. And then, and then we forget about it and sign for another one every time. <laughs> it's like the like ch- childbirth—you you forget the pain and yeah. just bask in the, the joy of it. Um, what, <laughs> what, like you, you mentioned earlier, like you know, when you're making games, you kind of tend to kind of miss out on stuff. So, so now you've got a bit of time, and you, well, relatively speaking, like, are there games yeah. that you're really looking forward to playing that you've not had a chance to jump into yet? Well, I'm going to catch up. Yes, I've got five million games to play. I want to play No Man's Sky. I want to play, you know, Thimbleweed Park. Uh, uh, there's probably a million game on my Steam account that I want to play. Uh, I want to play the new Res because there's an extra level in it, and I love Res so much. Uh, I I'll figure it out. Uh, I'm I'm sure there's games I will really enjoy playing this year. There's too many games. Omar. <laughs> yeah. There's far too many games. That is a problem. That's that's actually a question. Like, I'm wondering if it's ethical to make new games because there's so many of them, and it's like. If I were to make a new game, it would have to be special enough to 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 be worth making somehow, because people are already making amazing games. It's like why why should I make them? You know, I can play all those amazing games that I can buy for ten dollars, 
and they're, they're really good, why would I just bother making them? Since it's it's not guaranteed I can be as good as them. So, no, you know, I mean, I this I is... I, I'm a big proponent of the idea that everybody should just stop making things for a year. Just yeah. nobody, nobody make anything new for a year. Let everybody catch up because there's just yeah. this endless summer. But by that Freeze. same... Yeah. yeah, everybody just stop for a while. Let's just enjoy what we've made so far. Let's yeah. stop, stop yeah. growing. Let's just yeah. figure out what we're doing and then carry on again. I mean, um, just looking at my, I, I'm looking at my Steam collection. It's just depressing now. It's like there's so many games that <laughs> I know are very well made and I would probably enjoy, but it's like I don't know where I can where I can get on to play them. I started playing Zelda and it's really good, but it's, even that is like you need to commit to like to a lifetime of, of, of to play Zelda. It's so big. But the, the one, the one counter to the one, yeah. Oh well, yeah. No, short things definitely. Everyone should make shorter things. But the one yeah. counter to your your idea of like, is it ethical to make more games? Like, yeah. Or the only thing because I, I I I write stuff, so I write like TV and radio and and yeah. plays and things, and it's the exact same thing. Like, there's too much. Like, why would I bother doing something else? And it's because <clears throat> other people are going to do it anyway. So just try and do the best that you can i suppose like it's you know you're not kind of you're not stuffing it down people's throats you're just allowing adding to the stream of entertainment yeah yeah i don't know i think i want to i mean it doesn't be relaxing to make games so i think i i would like to <clears throat> rest a bit um but i don't know yet well you you deserve it omar um I think I think this is a fine place to to finish up. But if there's anything that kind of hasn't come up that you wanted to mention as you've been chatting, please do so now, or just let people know where they can find your game, well, and find you on yeah, the internet. Yeah, well, I like to that. mention that you can buy Wonderboy Dragon Strap on the Switch, PS4, and Xbox One, and uh, right now, and it'll be available on Steam in June, and uh, and yeah, and I hope you like it. <laughs> you seem very <laughs> excited to pitch the game. No, it's amazing. Like I, I like it's, it's it's an amazing. Oh, I want to play Gnog. The game the game Gnog is just out. Have you heard of Gnog? Gnog? No. How are you spelling it, that? It looks beautiful. G N Nog. G N O G. Okay, I've never heard of it. It's just hard. It's beautiful. Why you you, you... everybody don't buy Wonder Boy by Gnog? It's beautiful. <laughs> uh, it just got out today. I want to play it. It's a game where you tinker with this little house slash faces that are kind of very detailed and you could turn them around and open drawers and push buttons and things happen what is that where, where can where can i get that um i'm pretty sure if you type nog on the internet you'll find it on twitter it's on playstation at least okay yeah it is on playstation today i assume it'll be out on steam and other console at some point but it looks like it might be a PlayStation exclusive right now. Uh, it's really delightfully pretty, and it's actually co-published by Double Fine. Yeah, they're doing a lot of that recently, like uh, publishing yeah. little indie games. That's good. Yeah, they're doing Nights and Bikes too, which is beautiful. And they just did everything. Like, oh, well, I'm sure they've worked with David oh, already God. before. See, I want to play all those games now. Yeah, no, everything. I mean, everything is good because you can you can play it for an hour and get enough enjoyment out of it that you're like okay good i don't and yeah. you, you don't have to sit there for forever to play more that sounds good to me and yeah. also it has an auto play mode which is brilliant so you can just leave oh, it on that's... in the background and it just plays <laughs> itself 
which That's is good. which is very, I'm a big okay. fan of that. I'll just get it today, and I need to get it this game. It's on my list of things to play. Cool. Thanks for reminding me. Cool. And where, where uh, if if people want to look at your stuff on the internet or anything, like what's the website they should go to, or the Twitter or anything like that? Uh, so my personal Twitter is is Ocornet. So that's my name is O C O R N E U T. Omar Cornet, Ocornet, and my company Twitter is called Lizard Cube. So it's L uh, Lizard Cube. And just to finish up, what is that? Where, where does that come from? Uh, I don't know actually. Uh, uh, we were. I mean, I I know we chose it, but. Um, I guess Wonder Boy is a lizard, and we're like looking at lizard at the time. Uh, we thought so it would be appropriate. That's a very it's disappointing really, story, Omar. It's really no, it's really <laughs> hard. It's really hard to find a company that hasn't been taken because everything has been taken fifty times. So you make up those combos of word, and you settle on something that's great, and you realize there's like three games already called this way, or you know. Um, no, I, I I think it's a really good name. It's just it's a shame that the the, yeah. the story behind it is. <laughs> I'll, I'll brush exciting. up my story. Yeah, I'll figure out, figure story, out a better so. story because it okay. make it more exciting. Um, oh. Was was that okay for you, Omar? Was that was that fun? Yeah, it was great. Yeah, good, good. Well, well, thanks. Cool, yeah. I'm glad we finally got to, to put it together. <laughs>